Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. And for you watching online, glad you're joining us and down in F3 as well. And, and welcome to uh, those of you who might be, this is your first uh, time back live here at FBC after, uh, um, I know one of you mentioned 53 weeks for you. And so we're glad you're back uh, here at FBC. And we um, glad it was on the Lord's Day uh, where we celebrated the Lord's table. And um, it's something about uh, the body of Christ gathering together around the Lord's table, being reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And um, if we could add one more element to all of that, it would be also just sharing the stories, sharing the testimonies. I don't know if there's anything more encouraging and exciting than to hear people's stories of how they were transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, the stories of the testimonies uh, of, of people who um, once caught in the darkness of, of sin and then uh, Christ marvelously saved them and to hear those stories. Granted, some are pretty boring, like myself, you know, raised in a Christian home and a little kid uh, when I was five years old trusted Christ. That's uh, uh, a bit uh, bland. But then others of you have uh, jaw-dropping uh, uh, encounters with the living God that was very transformative in your life. But whether bland or, or exciting testimonies, um, to know that uh, we are on our way to heaven because of the goodness and grace of God, those are powerful, powerful, wonderful stories. On the other hand, I don't know if there's anything more sad and tragic than to um, see a life reject the good news of Jesus. And, and know uh, the certainty of where that's going to lead, where the end of that comes. Uh, you know, there's only two roads. There's one to heaven and there's one to hell. Um, to see a loved one or, or a friend slip away into eternity who didn't know Jesus as their personal Savior has got to be one of the most tragic things um, you could ever experience. I know for the Apostle Paul in Romans, uh, we're studying the book of Romans, and in that section of Romans that we've been in, Romans 9, 10, and 11, I think that's certainly how Paul was feeling. He had loved ones, uh, family members, friends, former co-workers, as he was deeply involved in the religious uh, machinery of Judaism. Uh, they were rejecting Jesus as their Messiah, and it was painful for Paul to know that uh, people were slipping into eternity not knowing Jesus as their Savior, as their Messiah. Um, there's a great burden, and I, I think we see that in this section of Romans 9, 10, and 11. There's some questions that are being raised here. Why aren't the Jewish people trusting Jesus? I mean, what's going on here? They had every opportunity to, but they weren't, they weren't embracing Jesus, except for a very few. Um, how could, how could God's coming wrath, which he had said was coming, how could God's coming wrath be averted? Um, what, what would be the ultimate fate of these chosen people of God, the Israelites? Now, those are questions that Paul is dealing with and, and wrestling with in this section of Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, crucial, uh, three crucial chapters in the book of Romans. But there is always hope. While you have breath, there is hope. And um, 
this morning I want us to go back to Romans chapter 10. Last week we saw this, this glimmer of hope in verse 13 when it says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be delivered. And we unpacked that uh, last week. So if you didn't hear that uh, message, I would encourage you to go back and understand what we were talking about or what Paul was talking about in that context. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, there's hope. Paul is saying that the Jewish people can avert this coming wrath of God if they call upon his name. Now the question is, why haven't the Jewish people done that? That's what Paul was up against. Why hasn't the Israelites done that? Um, there's a process involved. And did that process break down? You see that process in verses 14 and 15. Um, verse 14. How then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? How will they hear without someone telling them? Their translations may say a preacher, but it's just someone who announces it, who tells them. How will they uh, go and tell people unless they're sent? And then he quotes from Isaiah 52.7, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of glad tidings. Um, uh, some of your translations add another little extra phrase, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings of good things. Um, Paul has said, oh, the feet of those who go and tell the good news, the good news of Jesus. How beautiful are those feet. But there's a process. Uh, they have to be sent. They have to proclaim the message. It's got to be heard. And then it's got to be believed. And once it's believed and embraced, you call upon the name of the Lord. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be delivered from that coming wrath of God that we've talked about last week. Did the process break down? That's what Paul is raising. Did the process break down? Because a person can't be delivered from that, can't be saved unless they have first put their faith in Christ. And they can't put their faith in Christ if they haven't heard the message. And they can't hear the message if someone hasn't been sent to tell them about it. Now at that point, Paul raises some questions. A problem. Verse 16 However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So did the process break down? The vast majority of Jewish people did not believe the good news. Again, verse 16, uh, they did not all heed the good news. Who has believed our report? Now, Paul is quoting again from Isaiah. In fact, this whole chapter is full of Old Testament quotations. It's a famous chapter in Isaiah of the suffering Messiah. And he's focusing on that chapter, chapter 53 here, when he says, who has believed our report, our message, about the Messiah, about his coming to sacrifice his life, the suffering servant? And the answer is, well, very few have believed it. Because faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, the word of God. And if they don't hear that word, then where are they going to, what are they going to believe in? 
And if they don't believe it, how are they going to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved? What's the breakdown going down here? Um, Paul raises two rhetorical questions in verse 18 and, uh, and 19. The first one says in verse 18, but I say, well, surely they have heard, haven't they? I mean, come on. They certainly have heard. Um, yeah, Psalm 19, he quotes, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Yep, they've heard. Have they heard? Have they never heard? Of course they have. Uh, the news has been spread throughout the world. Uh, second question is verse 19, but I say, surely Israel didn't know, did they? I mean, they didn't understand it, did they? And again, he answers that, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation which without understanding will I anger you. Verse 20, and Isaiah is very bold, and he says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who didn't even ask for me. Israel didn't understand, did they? They weren't given an opportunity to know and really understand. And Paul is saying, are you crazy? It was understood by those who didn't even seek him, or weren't even pursuing him, the Gentile people. Paul is saying, look at the Gentiles. And he quotes Deuteronomy, Isaiah 65, verse 1. Uh, God was found, the message was heard, even by those who weren't even pursuing it. I mean, come on. The Israelites haven't understood. Of course it was made known to them. Of course they did. And so Paul concludes there in verse 21 with one more quote from Isaiah 65, this time verse 2. But as for Israel, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Israel is without excuse for her unbelief. It's not a matter of not having the opportunity. Paul is saying, as he quotes Isaiah, the problem is a disobedient and obstinate heart. Why has not Israel put their faith in Jesus? Because they chose not to. Israel's real problem, he says, is a disobedient and obstinate heart. They are a stiff-necked people, says Paul. Um, now, there's some truths here that I want to unpack a little bit this morning. Very simple passage and some very simple truths. Uh, here's the first one. This passage is teaching us that it is a person's unwillingness to believe the gospel that keeps them from experiencing God's free grace of salvation. The responsibility for Israel's unbelief is placed squarely on their shoulders. All day long, God is saying, I'm stretching out my hands to an obstinate and disobedient people. Um, it's interesting, really, chapter, and I don't know if you've sensed this tension, if you've been with our study here. Romans chapter 9 uh, puts a real emphasis on God's sovereignty. He hardens whom he hardens, it says. He has compassion on whomever he compa has compassion. He has mercy on, on whomever he compa has mercy upon. He says in chapter 9, so that it doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, 
It depends on God, who has mercy. It's a great focus in Romans chapter 9 on the sovereign work of God. God is sovereign. But you come to chapter 10, and the emphasis is on human responsibility, on man's responsibility, on Israel's unwillingness to believe the good news. And so you've got God's sovereignty in chapter 9 and man's responsibility in chapter 10 in perfect harmony. It, it, it seems to be in perfect harmony in God's mind. It always is some tension in ours. But there you have it. Chapter 9, chapter 10, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility in perfect harmony. But this passage is teaching something else. Not only is it Israel's responsibility and because of their disobedient and obstinate and unwilling heart, they're in the, the spiritual darkness that they continue to be in. There's a second thing I think this passage teaches, and that is there's a God in heaven who is the God of outstretched hands. Paul could have picked all sorts of passages to talk about, to use in Romans chapter 10, but he selects this passage in Isaiah chapter 65 that says, all day long, I've, I've, I've had outstretched hands to you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 reminds us that God our Savior desires all men to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth. He is the God of outstretched hands to, to forgive, to welcome any unworthy sinner. The God of outstretched hands. Isn't it interesting that those outstretched hands have the nail marks. The God who went to the cross to pay for our sins. The God of outstretched hands, of the God of open heart, of, of love. The Apostle John wrote in John 1, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. As many as received him, the God of outstretched hands, the hands that paid for our sins. That's what the Lord's table is, is calling us to remember. It's like, how could we ever forget that? But we're, we're, it's one of the sacraments of the church. It's, it's do this as often as you gather. Remember me, the Lord said. Because we so soon forget, it seems like, occupied in the busyness of life and the, occupied with the things of the world and just life that comes at us. And, and we are to gather and remember what Jesus has done for us. That he is the, the God of outstretched hands. It's good news. And Paul said it in the beginning of the Romans chapter 1, as he began this chapter, this, this book, I'm not ashamed of that good news. It's a power of, of God uh, to bring about this salvation, this deliverance to anyone who believes. I would assume that most of us here today have responded to those outstretched hands of God. Like I said, some of you may have done it when you were young like me and <laughs> your conversion story is pretty bland. Others of you, maybe it was later in life and you had to go through the muck and, you know, the mire of life, and, and then God grabbed you and, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then, of course, there might be someone here today who's yet to do that. May I just 
share some good news with you. God loves you, and he has outstretched hands, inviting you into an everlasting relationship with him. Will you believe it? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He's the God of outstretched hands. You see, that's a, 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 a picture of, of God has done everything. The nail-pierced hands, he's done it all. All he does is invite us to believe in him, to put our faith in him to trust him. He doesn't ask us to do anything to earn a spot in heaven. He, he, it's not outstretched, clenched fists that God offers people. It's outstretched hands. It's an open heart. It's an invitation. Whoever believes in him, have you put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for eternal salvation? It's, as, it's that simple it's that simple. Have you transferred your trust off of your good works and your attempts and, and what you are trying to do to get you to heaven? Um, I was talking with a young 16-year-old girl uh, yesterday or the day before who was asking a friend of hers about um, knowing Jesus about getting to heaven. And the friend responded, well, I don't know much about it, but I went to church with a friend of mine once, and the guy up in front said that we had to work to hard to get there and be good. And the implication was, and I'm not that. And so the 16-year-old girl began to explain to him, uh, but, but it's a free gift. You can't work for it. And she explained in very 16-year-old-ish language that Jesus had died on the cross and paid for her sins and um, invited her to put her trust in Christ. It's, it's that simple. Religion complicates it. God says, I've, I've got outstretched hands. I've done all the work. And he invites anyone to put their faith in Christ and Christ alone. There's a God in heaven with outstretched hands. There's a third thing I just want to mention briefly. There is a God-ordained process that is involved in getting that gospel message out to reach unbelievers. You saw it there in verse 15. How shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe if they haven't heard? And how will they hear if someone there's not a, a, a person telling them. How can a person tell them if they're not sent? A process. Um, someone said there's two, no, no two more embarrassing questions to ask Christians than uh, when was the last time you ever shared your personal faith in Jesus with somebody? Second most embarrassing question was, when was the last time you even tried? <laughs> when was the last time you shared the good news of Jesus with somebody? When was the last time we even tried to do that? There's no way around it. God's primary means of getting out the message 
the wonderful message of eternal salvation is to use people to do it. People telling other people, being witnesses, being ambassadors for Christ, being the proclaimers of good news to other people. Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus is one of the first teachings he gives his disciples. When he calls them, he says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Ever present on the mind of Jesus. One of the last things Jesus said was, go into the world and make disciples. One of the first things, one of the last things that was ever present on Jesus' mind. God's plan, his decreed plan is for people to share with other people the good news. Now, he doesn't have to do that, right? I mean, he could use anything he wants. He could use animals, right? Numbers. He used a donkey to communicate to. Wouldn't that be amazing? You know, some stray cat walking upside all of a sudden he says, you know, are you going to heaven or hell? You know, that would get people's attention. I think that would be very creative. Um, he could use um, angels. He certainly has done that before. You know, just send me Gabriel. Just send some brilliant lighted figure and, and said, you know, turn or burn. You know, something that would grab people's attention. He could use stones. Luke chapter 19, Jesus said, if, if these people aren't sh crying out praises, the very stones will. He can use whatever he wants to use. He could, he could take the clouds, right? He's created them. He could take the clouds and, 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 and uh, form in the sky, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And they're in the clouds that all of you be formed. And people are, are on their way. And they, they look up and there's the message. He could take the, the wind blowing, whispering through the trees. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He could take the locusts at night, chirping out the message of salvation. God doesn't have to use anything. I mean, he could just pronounce a voice from heaven, believe in me. I mean, he could do whatever, but he has decreed, he has ordained that people share with people. He chose people, men, women, boys, and girls, through whom he wants to convey this good news, this message of love and grace. God uses people, people with beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring this good news message. You know, there's, there's a lot of people here this morning and in all our services that have beautiful feet. That little 16-year-old girl had beautiful feet. Uh, there's plenty of you that have beautiful feet because you have shared. You've taken an opportunity and you've shared good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who shared the glad tidings. We have a young couple and their family are, are going to be... Uh, uh, heading overseas here in a couple of weeks, uh, a country in Southeast Asia. And um, I, I haven't seen them without their shoes on, but they have beautiful feet. And um, Joel and Rachel McManigle uh, have been praying and trusting the Lord. And, and uh, the opportunity that is now before them to head uh, to this country and um, 
and share the, the good news of, uh, of uh, what God has done for them. And so this is their last uh, uh, weekend with us here. Um, they're going to have to quarantine for a couple of weeks, and then, and then they take off. And so, Joel, uh, just explain a little bit maybe what you can. And again, this is a, a live stream, so uh, I know there's some careful things about that. But go ahead. Just tell us what's happening. Yeah, so in uh, 18 days, we'll be getting on a plane to head to Southeast Asia. And it's so amazing to see what God has been doing in our lives and preparing us for this. Um, going all the way back to 1953 when Rachel's uh, grandparents got on a steamship um, and began their three-month month voyage to S Southeast Asia. And then my parents, as well as her parents, um, served over in Southeast Asia. And so just a lot of, of relationships that have already been established and prepared for us because of our parents and grandparents that have gone before us. And um, the last five years uh, we've spent in uh, a training school learning about cross-cultural communication and understanding someone's worldview in order to communicate God's word clearly and in a way that can be grasped and understood. Um, and then sp specifically this last two years, just being here at FBC has been such a blessing. And um, one of the things that really has stood out to me is um, a class that um, we actually did with Mark. And um, just looking at Paul's um, missionary journeys and how he um, just cont would go to a place He'd preach the gospel and remain there for years, discipling, um, establishing the church in the gospel. And then once he would leave that area, he would return, um, continuing to establish the churches in the faith and writing letters. And um, it was a long process. And where we're going, the, um, the need is great, less than 1% Christian. And much of the evangelistic um, efforts have been driven by speed. And so what that has caused is now generations, a generation or two later, many of the churches don't understand the gospel. There's not a clear gospel message within the churches. And so we believe that God is calling us to um, go partner with churches, help establish churches in the faith that they can then be doing the work of the ministry and um, I love the fact that John 3.16 begins with God so loved the world. And that's, that's why we're going, not because of our love for the lost, but because of God's love for the lost. Uh, not that long ago, I told um, Malachi that we were going to go to Sweet Frog. And he was so excited, and he, he, he says, can I tell Micaiah? And I said, yeah. You can tell Micaiah, and he runs over and tells her this great news. And just for me to see his excitement and then to want to share that with his sister, I didn't need him to share it with his sister, but I allowed him to. And I think God, in the same way, delights in, in us, allowing us to be the ones to share this good news. It's not because of our love for the lost, but because of God's love. And we're, we're along for the ride. We're along for, um, we're blessed to be a part of what God is doing. And such a, 
a blessing to be a part of a church like this that is so involved, that is, um, that is behind us and supporting us and encouraging us. And um, we know we're not going alone. And we're excited to, Lord willing, one day for you all to meet um, people from Southeast Asia in heaven that are able to then thank you for being a part of what God has done in their lives. Well, we're excited um, to send beautiful feet to help equip and train other people to have beautiful feet and uh, continue the work um, that God has called us to do as, uh, as a church, as a local church. Um, this, is, um, this is not their decision. It has, in one sense, been our decision under the leadership of FBC and our, our team here. And, uh, and just uh, thank you for your uh, obedient response to that. Um, I know you're going, back, you're going to someplace familiar where you, you both grew up as, as kids, and, um, but it, it, uh, it's a sacrifice, and we will certainly be praying for you. In fact, I want to invite uh, Mike Thomas, our elder chair, and, and would uh, Scott and Annette, as parents, would you come also and just up front here, and, and um, we'll have a, just a word of prayer for you guys. And, uh, are you excited, Malachi? Are you? How about you, Micaiah? You excited to leave? <laughs> well, let's join us in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for the church, your future bride, your family all around the world and through time where we, we come to you as part of that family to pray for this family who's moving to a place to be a part of the bigger family and yet a local and, and small group um, where that fellowship and that, those relationships of family um, can be and will be uh, lived out. So we pray for uh, Joel and Rachel and Micaiah and Malachi and Lord as you take them from one portion of your family to another that uh, you would go before them help them to establish those relationships help them to um, become a vital part of the local family there Again, to, as, you, as you have written in your word, to help establish uh, the family there. Um, and even to bring in um, adoptions, to bring in people into the family. Lord, we recognize this is not a two-week trip like we often take to different parts of the world. We realize it's not a two-year tourist trip that oftentimes is uh, the length of, of time that, that some people go. But this is much longer. It's something new, something different, uh, in a sense, for us. So we pray and we would ask for this family here to really be connected, to stay uh, praying to, to, to stay writing, to stay in communication 
uh, with Joel and Rachel and um, Micaiah and Malachi through the years um, to remain part of the family. And Lord, too, we pray for their extended family, uh, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, um, Lord, that they would be comforted, uh, encouraged, um, and strengthened uh, in this move. So we ask that you go ahead before them. You've prepared this. We've seen that uh, through the years and how you've been preparing them for this. Um, it wasn't according to our plan because things didn't work out that way. And yet your plan is perfect. And so we rejoice um, and we know and, and go forward in, in bold confidence, Lord, that you are working your will. And in that we greatly rejoice and we pray that all this would be to your glory and that as these beautiful feet go, may many, many people hear and respond and be strengthened in their faith and come to new faith. We pray this all in your name. Amen. 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 Join me in just thanking Joel and Rachel for trusting uh, the Lord. By the way, um, if you would like to learn a little bit more or just kind of a final farewell, uh, this afternoon from 4 to 6 out here in the foyer, um, they're going to be here. We'll have some light refreshments and you can uh, stop by if you want and just um, say hello and say goodbye and wish them well and um, uh, join with uh, some folks this afternoon from 4 to 6. Would, uh, would appreciate you doing that. Look, God invites us all to have beautiful feet. You don't have to go to the far reaches of the world. Um, sometimes it's harder just to go across the street or to someone that, uh, a family member, you know, crazy Uncle Joe or whoever. Um, but we are never more like Christ. We're never more God-like. Um, than when we proclaim the good news. When we share that love of, of God um, uh, using our beautiful feet. What's it going to take? What does it take to have beautiful feet? Let me just mention three things as we wrap up uh, this morning. Uh, someone with beautiful feet, first of all, is someone who... Um, connects with the unsaved. You've got to have some connections with the unsaved. I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, um, and I don't know where these statistics come from, but I've heard it for years and years and years, that the, the average person who comes to faith in Christ within two years has no relationships with unsaved people because everything is all surrounded by church life and, and Bible studies and acquaintances and friends. and um, it's, it's so easy to lose touch with those who don't know Jesus. Um, so connect with the unsaved. When um, uh, my wife and I, Lisa and I, uh, moved up to that little rural church in Nebraska after seminary, a little town of 500 people, um, we were told that, um, I was told, here's a couple good ways to get connected with the community. Um, they had a little uh, golf course that some farmer had put out in some pastures of his that he had donated. Sand greens, all you golfers, it was sand greens. 
Now, all of you know who have ever golfed with me know why I'm so poor. <laughs> but um, so he said, jo join the golf league. Because every Wednesday night, farmers drop what they're doing. I mean, the, the cows could still breathe right in the middle of being milked. And they, it's league night, you know, and you grab the clubs and you head out to the pasture to hit a little, little white ball. And, uh, but you, every Wednesday night, you get rotated around with different teams of four. It's a great way to get to know people. That and that's in the summer. In the winter, it was joined the bowling league. The, town, the little town had a bowling alley. And so um, I joined the bowling league uh, to get to, to know people. How do we connect with lost people? Um, someone said a lot of Christians are like store clerks at a department store. Um, they show up for work, then they lock the door and sell merchandise to each other. And that's not how it's designed. So maybe reconnect with old acquaintances. Join a, a community organization. Um, uh, befriend a neighbor. Open, open your home to hospitality. Um, my sister and her husband uh, a couple of years ago moved out uh, to the West Coast to be closer to their family and to a little neighborhood area. And, uh, and this year with COVID, well, actually they just moved uh, to this neighborhood back in August. And so in COVID, it's how do you meet people? So she um, baked cinnamon rolls and went around to neighbors with a little uh, brochure that says, join us, me and my husband gave the address on such and such a date uh, for a COVID-friendly um, meet and greet. And she made these cinnamon rolls out in her parking lot had chairs set up and just invited neighbors. She didn't know if anybody would come. 25 people showed up um, to get to know and they social distanced and had their masks and they took home cinnamon rolls that she had made. Opened the door for opportunities. Connect with unsaved people. Um, second of all, someone with beautiful feet communicates the gospel. See, after you connect, you gotta speak. How shall they call upon him whom they haven't believed and how will they believe on him who they haven't heard and how will they hear if someone isn't opening their mouth and sharing the good news it's not it's not always about methods it's about the message and as as uh, um, difficult as it may be or as stuttering and stammering as we may communicate it it's just a matter of opening our mouths and sharing the good news that Jesus died and rose again. There's a God in heaven. That's what that little 16-year-old girl did this week with a friend. Um, and you don't have to become an expert. I, we have resources here at FBC. Um, Scott Santmeyer is our pastor of local outreach. He's got tons of resources, and we can, we can help you with that, and we can resource you with just even a little brochure or something that... Um, just to open our mouths. Yeah, we need to live a compelling testimony by our good life, but folks, no one ever gets to heaven by watching a good life. They get to heaven when they hear the good news and believe it. There's a third thing. Someone with beautiful feet, they concentrate on their walk with God. Because you see, it's the outflow of our relationship with God. Uh, we grow in our love for the Lord, will automatically grow in our love for others because that's the heart of God. When Jesus is, is reproducing his life in us, 
you can't help but share it with someone else because that's what God does. He sent his son. He was the greatest missionary, evangelist. I mean, he came into our world. And when Jesus is um, working our life and we're growing in the grace and knowledge of him, you just can't help but spill it over to someone else, uh, reflect it and share it with those around us. Someone once asked a guy, he said, uh, why is it that people are so attracted to you? They're like drawn to you like metal to a magnet. And his response was, well, maybe, you know, when you're on fire for Jesus, people just love to come and watch someone burn. And, uh, you know, we have to be excited about Jesus and just burn for, for Jesus. Let me share one, one story out of history. Uh, I enjoy history, but I especially enjoy the, um, that 17th century English history and in the middle of that that century, in 17th century in England, uh, there was um, a ruler of, uh, of England. He, he had dis- deposed the king, and his name was Oliver Cromwell. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. I think he was, his title was Lord Protectorate, but he was the leader of Great Britain. And um, in the midst of his kind of rule, there was a financial crisis. Um, they didn't have enough silver. And so he sent people out to scour the countryside to find silver that they could um, use for um, uh, coins. And, and, and um, they, they couldn't find any. But they came back and they said, you know, the cathedrals, the churches are filled with statues of the saints that are made out of silver. And so Cromwell said, uh, well, let's melt down the saints and put them into circulation. <laughs> And you know, when we're on fire for Jesus, maybe we just need to be melted down and put into circulation. Beautiful feet. The world needs it. May God give us grace to have beautiful feet, to share the good tidings of what God has done. Jude, bow your head in prayer. Father, as we close this morning, I'm grateful that you have... um, given us the the greatest model and greatest example of all, and it is you, your heart, sending of your beloved Son, Lord Jesus, you stepping from the throne of glory into our world and making that payment that we couldn't make. You, the perfect sacrifice, as we've sung earlier this morning. May we... um, may we just listen to your stirrings and your promptings father this week as we go about our work and our business and our relationships and 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 father just make us this week extra sensitive to those around us Uh, may we share that good news Um, give us an opportunity father may we have beautiful feet to share the good news. We leave the results up to you. Um, That's not our role. Our role is simply to proclaim it and let you do your work from there. And so thank you, Father. Thank you that we have something to share. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.